As we turn our attention to God's Word, I invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Colossians is one of the epistles in the New Testament, so uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We'll be looking at just a few short verses in Colossians 3, but I invite you to leave your Bibles open as we study God's Word together, as we're making some references to other places in the chapter. But our focus, where we're really going to zero in, is on Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. And because it's uh, one weekend in between two different weddings, we have the pulpit on the card out there, so I'm behind the lectern today which um, I always kind of thought when I did pulpit supply in college, when they give you a lectern instead of a pulpit, it's to check and see if you're nervous, to see if your knees are shaking or not. At least that's what I always thought, but uh, no nerves today, simply joy to be gathered here this weekend. Before we turn our attention to Colossians 3, let's pray together. God, our loving Father, May your word be our rule for this day and for this week. May your Holy Spirit come and dwell richly among us and be our teacher, our guide, our advocate, our challenger, and our encourager. And may our desire to glorify your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord, may our desire to do all things in word and deed in Jesus' name, May that be so. Lord, we know for that to be true. It is you who must move in our hearts, in our minds, and in our very lives. So come, dwell richly in our hearts, that we may be more attentively and faithfully your servants. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know for many of us, when we get to a a holiday-type weekend and we kind of know the themes that people are operating with, we we tend to guess uh, what the sermon will be about. It's Labor Day weekend, and so we know that Labor Day was established as a holiday of appreciation for the United States workforce. So it's Labor Day. Yes, it's a day off because it was meant to be a day of appreciation. And so companies were supposed to provide not only a day off, but also uh, fun activities, company picnics and parades for all of their workers. And so maybe we wonder on Labor Day, well, is this a good time for a sermon on Sabbath, a time when we appreciate our labor by taking rest from it? Sure, definitely. 
But then maybe here in Colossians 3, 15 through 17, you're trying to play a chess game and get one move ahead of me and guessing that our focus is that verse 17 piece of this chapter. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you would be right in assuming that on this Labor Day weekend, that's our focus. When we think about all of the labors, all of the works that we do, to take that phrase from verse 17 and make it true of us, that whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You would be right. But that verse by itself isn't a flip of a switch that we can just make that reality. Reading just verse 17, I hope that all of us, whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord. But there's an assumption that comes with that, that it's just a matter of willpower. We just need to decide, you know what, I'm going to love what I do every single day, no matter what happens, no matter what season of life, no matter if I'm so busy I can't even handle the stress level, or if I'm so bored that I feel like my life is pointless. Whether I find my job so meaningful or whether I'm longing for what someone else does because they seem more important than me. Or maybe we feel high stress and we long. Wouldn't I enjoy my job more if it was just something simple? Couldn't I be doing something different? Whatever we do in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord. And I think it takes a great amount of willpower and discipline to make that a true mindset for how we live. But I also would push hard that it isn't just a matter of willpower. It's not just reading that verse and saying, that's easy, I can do that. From now on, I will just make a conscious choice and enjoy everything I do in word and in deed. That's why the verse does not stand by itself. It's part of a greater passage, and even the chapter, even that passage is part of a chapter, and the chapter is part of a book. To really give thanks to God the Father through him for all that we do in word or deed, where that needs to start, a condition that is necessary, in addition to all of our willpower and effort and self-disciplined mindset, is to have it be that, as verse 15 says, that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Everything after that follows into that one understanding that the peace of Christ may rule in your heart. Now, that might bring us to the exact same question. Well, how do we do that? How do we just make that happen? And that's why I invite you to leave your Bibles open because we need to follow the path of logic through an argument that's made in chapter 3. And by argument, I don't necessarily mean disagreement. I mean a series of logical choices that lead to one conclusion to the next. And the argument in chapter 3 starts with having a resurrection mindset. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. The first four verses are a matter of where we put our minds setting our minds and hearts on a resurrection mindset. Resurrection being the word of going from death to life. That 
It is Christ's resurrection, that singular event in history, that orients our entire lives and our thinking, our way of being, everything that we do. Our hearts and minds should be set on things above with a resurrection mindset going from death to life. That's verses 1 through 4. But then the Apostle Paul continues in verses 5 through 11. Even while talking about a resurrection mindset, we're told, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So if we have gone from death to life through Christ's resurrection as a gift to us, then we know that there's certain things that we are leaving behind, things that we have died to so that we can make space for the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts over that which is intended for life. And so we put to death, we leave behind in the sleep of death, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Picking up again at verse 8, that we rid ourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. These are the things that we've left behind in death. But instead, because we are in Christ, we have put on new garments. Verses 1 through 4 encourage a resurrection mindset. Verses 5 through 11 describe what it is that we leave behind in the past, what it is we leave behind in death as we pursue what is true life, as ordained and intended by God. And then in verses 6 through 14, oh, not 6 through 14, my, my bad. In verse 12 is where we give the alternative. If we leave behind these old things, then in verse 12 we're told, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on, literally wear, love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Resurrection is a time when we go from death to life. And it's where we get this idea of being born again. And when you're born, what are you wearing? Nothing. When we're born into this world, when we are born new and afresh, we are naked. And when we are born again, we have put off all of these old things, all of these things that we used to hide ourselves with and cover up our sins with, just like in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves up That all gets thrown to the wayside, and we are completely vulnerable before God when we are born again because of Christ's resurrection. So then Christ tells us what kind of clothes to wear. Compassion, humility, kindness, these are the things that we are to put on, literally to wear. Now, I'm going to to break a rule that, that Ross and Dave has set for me. 
I left a stage prop on the pew because I, didn't, I couldn't stash in the pulpit. I'm going to go through what we call the neutral zone, which is a Star Trek reference. I'm going to go through the neutral zone and grab something real quick, but I'm not going to talk too much while I do it because there's a little sound dropout right about here, right? Okay, good. I've got it now. Thanks, Ross. I'll apologize in more detail later. I have here a, a coat. Now, this coat is my dad's. Well, it was. It's mine now. It doesn't fit him anymore. Now, I really like this coat. I, I, I think it fits well. I think it looks good on me. Caitlin isn't always so sure if she agrees with that or not. Um, this, this is a, a vintage late 70s, early 80s leather coat. And I think it's wonderful because, for one, the sleeves are long enough. And this tells me something that I have grown into the image of my father when he was my age. This coat did not fit me for many, many years. But I grew into it. And now it fits perfectly. Because now in my 20s, I look a lot the same way that my dad used to look when he was in his 20s. It's a coat that I grew into. And because I grew into it, it went from sitting in the closet in the hallway for a few decades to my closet so I can wear it in the fall. When I was young, this coat would not have fit. It would have been too big. But now it fits so well. I had to grow into it. In the same way in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul is lifting, listing off what kind of clothing, what kind of garments we are to put on, what kinds we are supposed to grow into. And some of those might seem a little big right now. We might have to grow into them just a little bit. That's the new Jed. Some of those garments we need to grow into, and it takes time. But the difference between a coat and these garments that Christ calls us to wear is that we start wearing them even before they fit. Because we put them on and we get used to them, and eventually they fit well as we grow into the likeness of God's image that Christ has created us in and called us to live into. So sometimes the virtues, because these are high virtues in Colossians 3, sometimes these virtues seem lofty and unattainable, and yet we wear them anyway until they really and truly begin to fit. When we wear these virtues, compassion, humility, kindness, forgiveness, when we wear these virtues long enough, we start to get used to them, and they become our new clothing that we've put off anger, rage, malice, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and idolatry, those don't fit us anymore because we are Christ's. And so he has given us new garments to wear. And if we're wearing those garments, and if our mindset is that of one of the resurrection, then we get to verse 15, where the peace of Christ may rule in our hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, it's an interesting word for rule that's used here. This is essentially a word meaning let the peace of Christ call the shots in your mind. 
Let the peace of Christ be the determining factor of how your heart rests. So it's not a literal, physical question of what's in your heart, you know, ventricles and arteries and blood and cardiac tissue and other things that people who know more about physiology than me could tell you. But this is a question of the heart's mindset. And does the peace of Christ rule in your heart? Does the peace of Christ call the shots? Now, maybe a good way to understand that is every family has someone who calls the shots, don't they? Maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad, maybe there's a pecking order between siblings. Every family has someone who calls the shots. That when there's a little bit of disagreement, when push comes to shove, eventually there's going to be one person who says, and this is what we're doing now. Make it so, and it happens. Now, a good way to find that, I think, in in families is when you're not just at home, but when you're maybe on vacation, and plans change, and the plan that we did have is disrupted. In that moment of disruption, if you pay attention to your own family or if you pay attention to the stories of people who have gone on vacation, you'll figure out who calls the shots. You'll figure out who rules over the family. Because when plans change, the person who really gets to call the shots, we're going to end up doing what they do. Let the peace of Christ in that same way, like the person in your family who calls the shots, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let Christ call the shots for what is in your heart. Let him be the umpire of your life. Which then leads us to that great internal question of what is in our heart that Christ is ruling over? Because if the, peace of, if the peace of Christ is going to rule in our hearts, then some things are going to get pushed out because they don't fit anymore. But they're getting pushed out because they're going to make room for new things. They're going to make room for you to grow into the garments that Christ has called you to wear. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and let the peace of Christ make the room in your heart. Let it rearrange and order the furniture in the living room of your soul that the right things are in the right place. And we do this, as verse 15 continues, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And what kind of peace is this? Does anyone know anyone named Irene? Do you know an Irene? A few of us do. It's a little bit older name. It's making a comeback again now. If you know someone named Irene, then know that their name comes from the Greek word for peace, Irene. And someone named Irene was named after this definition of peace. Irene is a state of tranquility, exemption from rage or destruction. Peace between individuals, a harmony or accord, and security, safety, prosperity, and a little bit classic of a word, felicity. Felicity. That's the type of peace that we, as members of one body, the church, were called to, to that kind of peace. The kind of peace that comes from Christ, rules in our hearts, and reorders us and orients us. And if this were all not enough to take in, in just a few short sentences, we get added on and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful. There's a lot of gratitude throughout the entire letter of Colossians, but especially in this part of chapter 3. 
There's gratitude and thankfulness. When I was at a meeting of a few area clergy during the summer, in the bathroom there was a a needlepoint decoration. And it had some nice buttons and flowers on it, but there was a phrase, needlepointed into the piece of fabric. And the phrase was this, gratitude is the sign of noble souls. Gratitude is the sign of noble souls. Now, when I read that, my mind immediately goes to people who are a perfect example of that. There's people here that are great examples of that. And I'm grateful that they get to be with us because if you think about gratitude being the sign of noble souls, it fits in line with this idea of letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Someone who's grateful lives with nobility, and someone who we know to be of noble character also lives with great gratitude. And there's a few people here, we won't name them by name because we'd leave someone out on accident, but there's some people here, especially those who are in their 80s and 90s, and they are great examples of those gratitude-filled people that are noble souls. They're grateful to be with us, And I don't even know if we deserve to have them as our company because they are truly noble souls. Be thankful. Let the gratitude in your heart as ordained by Christ, let that lead you into being a noble soul. The Apostle Paul continues in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. Dwelling among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom And then through what? This is a peculiar turn. When we think about teaching and admonishing people, I think of classrooms, I think of lectures, I think of private meetings that are called with a few people of authority. That's what I think of teaching and admonishing to be. And this is done with wisdom, but in Colossians 3, we're told that this is done through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, it follows readily that the word of God, the message of Christ, is to dwell richly among us. And that includes all of Scripture, because Christ himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But then that this teaching and admonition is done through songs and hymns and spiritual songs. What a curious instruction to give. But think about how this makes sense. Do you ever get a song stuck in your head? Probably. Yeah, all of us at some point or another. Even those of us that aren't very musically inclined, a song eventually gets stuck in our head, and it rattles around in our mind, and it will shape what you are thinking. I know for me, I get hooked on uh, music soundtracks, and usually it's no, no vocals, all instruments throughout the whole track, but then usually the conclusion song has words to it. And I can think of songs that get stuck in my head and they play over and over again. The songs that we get stuck in our heads shape us. So be careful about what songs get stuck in your head because it could shape you in a negative way as well. But I believe very strongly that in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul is is dipping into a very evident truth here that the songs and hymns that we are known by, the words and lyrics that are moving through our minds consistently, those are the words that are going to shape us. 
Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts is the end of verse 16. We are encouraged to sing songs of praise and thankfulness and gratitude. We can sing to God with gratitude in our hearts. Let the lyrics be the ones that will shape you well, that you can wear the garments that Christ means for you to wear. If we live in this way with thankfulness, with gratitude in our hearts, then, and then only, do we really reach the conclusion in verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks, once again, gratitude is a repeated theme. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do in word or deed. This happens at the conclusion of a long list of life changes. How we orient our hearts and minds, the types of things we leave behind us, the types of things that we put on and that we wear and that we grow into, that we may grow into the likeness of God. And then letting the peace of Christ in us rule in our hearts, leading us then and only then to do whatever we do in word or deed in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The garments we wear identify us. And I'm not talking about physical clothing, but the things that we wear that show that we live lives of gratitude towards God. Garments we wear that show people by word and deed that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts. And in that way, mission happens day in, day out, because our words and our deeds are the witness of Christ ruling in our hearts. So wherever you go, whatever you do, whoever you are, this is what is to be evident about you. And thus mission becomes something that happens no matter where you are and no matter who you interact with. And that's the rest of chapter 3, really, where we're told there's instruction for households, for wives and husbands and children and father and slaves and masters as if to emphasize the point that this peace of Christ ruling in our hearts is for everyone. Whoever you are, whatever you do, this is for you to wear. This peace of Christ is to rule in your heart. There's two mistakes that we often can make in reading these, I I call them packed punches type of passages. We read this lofty understanding of whatever you do in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God. And we can think this is either just for us, as if Scripture only means something to us and it hasn't ever dawned on anyone else before in the history of the Bible. But we we lose something in that because we forget that this is personal but not private. You're not the only person to have ever read this. And God is speaking fresh to you through Scripture when when it captures your heart in a special way. But you're joining the communion of saints who have also experienced that. But the other error is to think that this kind of thing is only for other people. But that's the other big false thinking. Is that only other people with more time or with more important jobs or with easier jobs or better paying jobs or people who work outside the home or inside the home or work from home, that this is only for them. 
This is for all of us. Not privately, but very personally. For each one of us. Whatever we do, wherever we are, however stressed or busy or bored or satisfied or longing we are, this is for all of us to be wearing these garments of Christ. That whoever we meet will know that there is something unique that the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, day in, day out. And by that, people will know whose we are, that we belong to Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray.